All right, what's up, AFC? I hope everybody's doing well tonight. Um, my name is Matt, and this is Craig here. And um, if this is your first time here, you've come on a, you've come on a pretty special night. You've came, you have come on our last night, so we have some housekeeping things to take care of. But um, uh, first of all, this is our last AFC. As Tyler said, uh, last night we finished small groups. I think those finished off um, as a great success for the guys and the girls. And um, tomorrow we're going to do our last AFC event, which is the, um, the bigger, badder bonfire. And what that means is we had a bonfire once, and the fire department was called once. So now we're going to have a bonfire again, and we're hoping for two or three times to have the fire department out there. So. And then Saturday we have a fall ball. That's something that the church puts on, and everyone at AFC is welcome to come to that, get a free meal. Um, some dancing will be uh, done or attempted, and so that's, um, <laughs> that's happening Saturday night. So um, this is a special AFC tonight. Uh, as most of you know, Craig has been the camp campus minister here for three years, and uh, it's his last time up here, and I have the honor and privilege of sharing the stage with him, as I've had the honor of um, working side by side with him in the minist this ministry for the past couple months and that's been extremely special and I've learned a lot and I've learned to um, roll with punches as we were walking up right now this first slide popped up and he said oh yeah I changed the name of the title again <laughs> and so that's just kind of like the nature of how Craig is and we're extremely different in a lot of ways like that but um but we are like-minded and um, our heart for this ministry. And so it's been, it's been fun. We've seen some really awesome things this semester. As we said, small groups were a great success this year. Um, I think it summed up perfectly. Um, Jay Gob, you put up an Instagram post a couple weeks ago. And she said in the post, she said, um, small groups keep getting better, not because we have more and more girls, but because we get more and more of the girls. And that spoke um, deep to me as well. And that small groups this year, our numbers were good but getting to know you guys um, from, from the guy side was extremely special, and we talked about that a little bit last night. So um, next semester, if you're going to be around, we highly encourage small groups. We also, um, uh, the, the idea of community was really fostered this semester, um, community being the idea of we just like hanging out together. We like having tea at Taylor's after AFC, which is not going to happen tonight, by the way, just so you all know. Uh, we like having bonfires. We like sitting together at football games. Um, this has kind of become a place where if you don't get plugged in, like, no offense, but it's not all our fault, <laughs> you know. <laughs> this has become a place where, we, where there's a lot of opportunities to get plugged in, so we, we encourage you to take advantage of those. Um, and you know what, a lot of this is a testament to his leadership in the ministry, the community that was built. And, uh, you know, it's not even just Craig, but it's what God's been doing through this church and through this ministry for the past, the past 50 years, the foundation that has been laid. And um, so tonight we found um, a couple characters in the Bible, um, Ezra and Nehemiah, and these are two men that saw a foundation of something that had been built and what God was doing, and they took it and ran with it. So for tonight, I'm going to start off and set the stage a little bit. Now, um, it's kind of interesting, if y'all remember back in August when we came in here, everybody came in and everybody was like fanning and taking off all the layers they had because the AC was broken and it was like 400 degrees in here. And now we're finally in December and like my hands are cold, you know, like what a great change. But um, for tonight, we're talking about Ezra and Nehemiah. And they're in the Old Testament, which is why some of you have never heard about them, okay? Um, but the stage, the place in history that we're at is the people of God have fallen away, okay? Israel, the Jewish people who are supposed to be God's people, they have turned away from God. And we've seen civil war within the Israelite people. And so they've divided into the north and the south, kind of like the U.S. did um, in our civil war. They've divided up, and in each 
territory, we've seen, seen evil king after evil king after evil king rise up, and things aren't going good for the people there. Now, in the midst of all this, there's been this lone voice that's been crying out to the people, and it was the voice of a man named Jeremiah. We have a lot of his writings in the Old Testament of the Bible, and what he keeps saying is, guys, you need to repent. Jeremiah came and he said, God has spoken to me, and he has told me that you need to repent, because if you don't, God's patience is going to run out. God has given you a long time. God has given you chance after chance. But today, if you don't decide to turn things around, God's going to do it for you. And the people ignore him. And so Jeremiah is preaching this, and he's like, guys, come on, we're running out of time. But the people refuse to listen. And so we see Babylon, which had become a strong empire by this point. Babylon comes in to the holy city, to Jerusalem, and they utterly destroy it. The people come in and the temple is burned and knocked down. The walls are crumpled and the city that had been the glory of Israel is now a heap of rubble. That's where we're at in this story. So this has happened and all the people that lived there, um, it says that Babylon took everybody as a captive except for those who were poor and they left them there to tend the fields. And so you have people who have been ripped from their homes and families who have been torn apart, and all these people have been transplanted into a new culture and a new city and their exiles. They've been removed from their home. So all of this goes on, and it stays like this for 70 years. And the people aren't at their homes. Jerusalem is still a pile of rubble, and the people, they've been displaced. They're refugees, they're strangers, they're aliens. But after 70 years, we see another kingdom rise up, the kingdom of Persia. And Cyrus, the king, um, overtakes Babylon. And so we kind of have a new sheriff in town at that point. And the first thing he does as king, in the first year of him ruling, he says, you know what? Like, there's a God that y'all serve, and he's put it on my heart to allow you to go back home. And so this pilgrimage happens, and we see nearly 50,000 Jewish people who hadn't been home in 70 years. Many of them had been born and grew up in a culture and didn't even know what home looked like. They're allowed to go back. And so 50,000 people make this journey across the wilderness, and they get to this place that they've been told was Jerusalem. And you can just see, um, you know, like the grass that started to grow over things, and you see the broken stone that's just scattered about and the dirt that's inside floors that used to be homes, like that's what they come back to. And so the people start to rebuild. And the first thing they do is they rebuild an altar to a God that they had abandoned. And after the altar is complete, they start to reconstruct a temple to the God that they had forgotten. Now here's the thing about the Israelites is they were sent back and they were, uh, they, had, they had an altar now and they had a temple, but they had no clue how to worship. This is a people that had fallen off time and time again and um, this probably was going to be the case again. But what God does is he rises, he, uh, he rises up a man in, named Ezra. And Ezra can be described in Ezra um, chapter 7 verse 10. I think we have a slide. Um, he's, he's described as this says, um, Ezra had, a, had his heart set to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. So Ezra was not only a man that knew God's word, but he was a man that lived God's word. 
and, uh, and had a mind to teach them. And he had been chosen by the king to go back um, and to help these people learn how to worship. Now, uh, by the time Ezra gets to go back, Jerusalem's starting to get restored a little bit. So there's a little bit of trading going on. There's a little bit of commerce. And, of course, we have the altar and the temple. Um, but, uh, but God knew that that prosperity wouldn't be enough if it wasn't in the right mindset. So it made me think of uh, one, of my, one of my favorite quotes by my favorite YouTube preacher. His name is Francis Chan. We have that, we have that quote right there. It says, in life, do not fear failure. Fear succeeding at things that do not matter. Now, if the Israelites go back and they have prosperity, they have commerce, they have trading, they have buildings, they have homes again. If they go back and they have prosperity, but they forget again the God they are worshiping, then it'll all be for naught. From the worldly view, the city being rebuilt, rebuilt would look like success. Um, but from God's perspective and from, um, and from Ezra's expect, uh, perspective, that would have been a failure. So, uh, um, so that's why Ezra was sent. The theme of his life was to, was to help them um, understand worship again. Uh, I think the application for us tonight is that, um, you know what, not all of us are going to be leaders of nations like Ezra was. That's just the fact of the matter. But, um, but we can adapt some of the things that were characteristics of Ezra's life, like he had a mind to study the word. And not only that, but he applied the word to his daily life. And then he was ready to teach, and he was ready to teach the word, and he was ready to teach the law of Moses, it says. Um, now, the law of Moses is something, the law is something that we still have to an extent, but what we have now is the finished story. And that's the, that's the gospel of Christ. So we are supposed to have a mind to study God's word. We are supposed to have, uh, we're supposed to have the desire to apply it to our lives. But we're also supposed to be ready at any time to teach the good news which we have fulfilled. And that's the gospel. So long story short, we all have different paths, uh, to the, um, but we're on the same journey. The events in your life, the events in Craig's, they're going to look different than mine. And the struggles in my life are going to look different than yours. Um, but some of the characteristics remain the, the same. Time in the Word, godly principles for living, and being prepared to share. And so it's really neat how God's starting to work through all of this because you have a Persian king who, just like as an aside, doesn't worship God, saying, hey, like, y'all should go back home. And so God moves through this foreign king and he gets his people back where they belong. And then he says, you know what, they don't they don't really know what they're doing. And he raises up Ezra, and Ezra goes, and he's like, guys, like, this is what it looked like to worship God. This is what it looked like when our forefathers were faithful and when God blessed us. And so Ezra goes and has that started. And then 13 years after Ezra reaches Jerusalem, um, we get to see a glimpse of another man's story. His name's Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king at the time. And so every time the king ate, he's the guy that got to hold the cups and like wash the dishes, you know, stuff like that. He's a servant in the king's palace. And um, he's kind of heard about stuff that's going on. And he kind of wants to know like, where are things at? Like some of my um, kinsmen have gone back home, but I'm still here serving in the palace. And so he sends a message to his brother and says, hey, like, have you heard anything? It's been decades. Like what's going on over there? And he gets a message back from his brother. And it kind of says this, it says, well, you know, like, the altar's been rebuilt, and the temple's been rebuilt, and Ezra's there, and he's starting to teach the people, but the walls of the city are in ruins, and the gates are burned down. The glory that used to be Jerusalem still isn't there. And it's so great what it says. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4, he says, as soon as I heard these words. 
I sat down and I wept. So like some good things have happened and we've started to see God move in this situation, but Nehemiah hears about this and he's like, that's not how it's supposed to be. Like in the days of David, in the days of Solomon, people went to Jerusalem because that's where the wealth was. People went to Solomon to ask him for wisdom. They were a leader in the place that they were. And he said, now? Now what are we? We're just, we're just stones on the ground. And he hears that and he weeps. And he immediately starts to fast and pray. And he just says, God, you were, you were right to do what you did to us. I've sinned, my father sinned, like Israel did bad things. But that's not the way it should be. That's not what you had intended when you made promises to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Like there was a greater destiny for us. And he starts to pray to God and he says, something needs to change. I just don't know what it is. And it's neat because, again, thinking about this foreign king, right? Um, Nehemiah is waiting on him and the queen while they're eating at one point. And the Bible says he had never been sad in their presence before. And he walks in, and he's like holding the cup, and he's, you know, doing stuff with the food. And the king looks over and goes, what's wrong with you? Like, you've never been sad before. Like, I've had people say that to me before. I guess I'm a generally happy person. Like, sometimes you have a bad day, and people are like, dude, Craig, did like somebody die? What's wrong? No, I'm just tired, okay? But that's what the king does. He goes to Nehemiah, and he says, what's wrong? You look terrible. And it just all comes out. And Nehemiah says, like, how can I not be sad? I just heard about my city and my people and the state that it's in. How can I not weep over the situation that's there? And the king's response, he just says, well, what do you need? And so Nehemiah is able to tell him, well, gosh, I guess we need we need supplies to rebuild things. I need people to send there. We need money. We need to take stuff there. Like, we need to rebuild this thing. And the king says, whatever you want, I will give it to you. And Nehemiah is allowed to go back to Jerusalem to start rebuilding his city. Now, there's an important thing about this that I want all of y'all to hold on for a second. In our lives, we will never rebuild brokenness until our heart cries over the ruins. I think that's something that Nehemiah definitely experienced. He hears about the destruction that's happened, and he's moved by that, and he weeps over that. He thinks about the depth of the fall that they've taken, the hurt and the pain, and that moves him to rebuild. And I mean, in our lives, like, what have you, what have you wanted to rebuild before? I mean, don't we have areas in our lives that sin has destroyed? Don't we have relationships that um, have just crumpled things that used to be beautiful and glorious, people we used to share with and love, and somehow that's just gone. Like, don't we have things that we want to rebuild? What areas in our lives are in disrepair because of laziness or procrastination or selfishness? And the first thing we learn about Nehemiah is if we can't weep at the desolation we see in our own lives, we won't have the strength to do something about it. So Nehemiah does weep, and he prays, and the Bible says the hand of the Lord was upon him. So he abandons the cup of the king to pick up the hammer of a laborer. And in chapter 4, verse 6, it's really simple. He just says, we got there, and we built the wall. He says the wall was joined together for half of its height, for the people had a mind to work. 
And I think that's so cool. Ezra had this mind to study and this mind to teach people. And Nehemiah comes onto the scene and adds another piece into that puzzle. He says the people had a mind to work. And God's people have a mind to work. Right? As Christians who gather here, as people in AFC, we should be people who aren't afraid at getting dirty. People who aren't afraid to eat with the homeless. Who aren't afraid to have calloused hands. Who aren't afraid of their free time disappearing and going to something else. Christian people have a mind to work and accomplish God's purposes. So in chapter 6, verse 15, it says, So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. Now, that sounds like a short amount of time, like that's a month and a half, but I was like, I don't, like, I'm not a construction person, so I don't really know what that means. So for some perspective, I realize they're not um, totally accurate comparisons, but the wall around Jerusalem that they built was about four and a half miles long. And it was as thick as 10 feet in some places and as high as 40. And so I was like, well, like, that's a lot of rock, okay? So because I'm a math person, I went and I calculated the volume and how much rock they had to take and stuff and found that to build the wall it took approximately nine times the amount of stone it took to build the Washington Monument. And for perspective, it took 13 years for construction to finish on the Washington Monument. And that's with modern technology and with AutoCAD and with cranes and heavy machinery. These people finished the wall in 52 days because they had a mind to work. So things happen when we allowed God to work through us. When we see hurt and brokenness, we should allow ourselves to respond because when God empowers his people and they dedicate themselves to a cause, mountains move. Now this teaching we talked about with Ezra and this building we talked about with Nehemiah, um, if you've been walking with the Lord for any period of time or even if you haven't, there's one thing we know about this life is that we face opposition and Ezra and Nehemiah were no different. Uh, even before Ezra was able to go see the finished temple, the temple ran into government issues as far as it being built. And Nehemiah ran into physical issues. There were literally kingdoms that did not want them to rebuild this wall to the point where um, while rebuilding the wall, one worker had a trowel, which is a tool for masonry to build the wall, and the other one had a sword to protect them while he was down building the sword and the trowel. I mean, that was the type of opposition that they were, that they were facing. But um, when we really dig deep in this story, the main opposition that they had and the main opposition that we have in our life is sin. And that was something that Ezra and Nehemiah both and jointly at times had to eradicate. And uh, you know what? They had to make unpopular and tough decisions, really tough decisions. Um, but you know what? That's a characteristic of a godly leader or a godly person in general. It's somebody that's willing to, to stand alone, to stand for what's right. And uh, that's, something that, that's something that both these men had to do at one point in time. Um, Nehemiah, there's a, there's, a, there's a part of his story where um, there's a group that's after him, and he needs a, he needs a way out. Some opponents are chasing him, and, uh, and he's offered this chance to run and to escape. And his, um, his answer in Nehemiah 6, chapter, or verse 11, it says, it's kind of an anthem for our response to opposition as well. And he said, such, should such a man as I run away? Should such a man as I run away? We as the church, we as individual believers, uh, we're not called to run from opposition. 
because just as Craig mentioned about Nehemiah and the hand of God being upon him, Ezra says the same thing. He says the hand of our God is on all who seek him. And so the takeaway tonight is that God is for you. God is for you even during periods of opposition. So Ezra and Nehemiah both came together and followed God and ended up working as partners for a cause, for the rebuilding of Jerusalem. And after the wall was finished, they had all the people gathered together, right? Which is kind of exciting. Like, Jerusalem has not had voices ringing through it like this in a long time. But they have the walls up and the temples up and the people all get together. And it says that they, um, put, they built a wooden platform so Ezra could stand up on it and see all the people. And Ezra starts to read the law to them. And they have people come up who preach and they're praying and they're worshiping the city of God is finally calling out to the God who had sustained them all those years before. And so all of this is happening. The people are weeping because as Ezra reads the law and as they experience this, they realize how far they had fallen as a people. And so it says that, you know, you could just hear it throughout the city, the sound of people crying and the sound of people screaming just because of the anguish they felt at the situation that they were in. Israel had fallen, but Ezra and Nehemiah get together, and they start to quiet all the people, and they say, guys, guys, you don't need to mourn, and they told them this because they understood something really pivotal that happened at this point. Jeremiah, the prophet who had been telling them they needed to repent in the first place, and who said, hey, like, you're running out of time. Bad stuff's going to happen. After all that bad stuff happened and after people were in exile and they were captives in a foreign land, Jeremiah pinned some words that you've probably heard before. In uh, chapter 29, verse 11, he says, there's a message from God. He says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Despite all the things that were happening, Jeremiah told the people, God has not forgotten you. And as the temple starts to get rebuilt and Jerusalem starts to rise from the ashes, Ezra and Nehemiah realize this day has come. The things that Jeremiah were talking about were happening. The hope and the future was being restored because God was watching over his people. In uh, chapter 8, verse 12, in Nehemiah, just says, and all the people went their way to eat and drink and send gifts and make great rejoicing because they understood the words that were declared to them. And so tonight, um, I really hope that um, through the story of Ezra and through the story of Nehemiah, that you have understood the significance of the words in these two men's stories because the story of Israel is our story as well. We were once a ruined people. Each of us were once a broken-down city who was in a place that could not worship God and did not understand him. But God saw fit to look down at our state and send his son who wept at the desolation he saw so that we could be rebuilt. And because of that, we have a calling to do the same in this world. So, We've come far this semester. And I'm not just saying this because it's a nice thing to say at the end of a period of time. Like, this has been a powerful semester where you have built something special. Matt talked about 
the community that we've seen and the dedication, and I've seen growth in so many areas. And it's because as a group, we're people who have a mind to serve the Lord and who have a desire to continue that tomorrow and the next semester and the next year. And so something I want to do is um, tonight we have um, some of you in here who, um, it's not just like my last AFC, it might be yours too. We have some people who are graduating and people who are moving on to new things. If that's you, if you wouldn't mind coming up really quick and just standing here in front of the stage. So if you're a graduate, I've already talked to some of you, so I know you're here, not tyranny. Go ahead and come up to the stage really quick. Nelson, you invited me to your party, so I know you have to come up. Um, tonight we have some people present who are graduating and moving on to new things. And as Matt said, we're all traveling on the same journey together, um, but there's different paths that take us there. And so for y'all sitting in the seat, um, a lot of your paths are still here in Las Cruces. You have school ahead of you, you have semesters ahead of you, and for the people standing up here, that chapter has ended and they have paths somewhere else. But we're all on that same journey. And so as we close, um, I just want to pray that the stories of Ezra and Nehemiah will really resonate with our hearts and that wherever all of us are headed, we will each continue building every day of this journey. So if you would pray with us real quick. God, we thank you so much for a semester marked by your grace and by your power. And tonight, I want to pray a special prayer over the people that are standing at this stage as they get ready to um, go into new things. And I pray that they will be um, people who have a mind to restore what is broken and people who have a yearning to bring healing uh, from you in the lives of all the people that they run into. I pray that they would be um, hard workers at their jobs. I pray that they would be um, wise spouses and parents as people move into those sections of life and that you would just walk with them. And I pray that um, their desire for you will never fade but will only uh, sweeten and grow with time. And I just thank you so much for their contribution to this ministry and their time at NMSU, and I pray great things for their future. And dear Heavenly Father, we are thankful for these graduates and the examples that they've set as godly leaders in this community. But Lord, we pray tonight for those that are going to be left as well, that the ministry continues here in Las Cruces. God, I pray you continue to use AFC in mighty, mighty ways. Lord, you've been so faithful through these years, and we believe that there's a foundation that has been set by people um, like those standing in front of us. So God, as we, um, as we celebrate them tonight, we also celebrate the things that you're gonna do, not only in this ministry, but in everybody's personal ministry. God, thank you, thank you for these graduates, but thank you most of all for your son. Thank you for the undeserved gift that is eternal life and time spent with you and what he did on the cross. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.